0: We have the new slate of rules for the Atlantic League in 2022 for you this week. You'll want to know what they are, and you'll find out on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 158 of the indie ball report podcast i'm nick he's will and we have atlantic league rules and we have a new manager in grand junction colorado and that's about all we have because (laughs) it is still march
1: yeah it's that it's that time of year however it is the most wonderful time of the year where the atlantic league announces rules people get really angry uh and then We are here to either rile people up or calm them down. But, you know, I I think this year, before we even get into the discussion, I think they're fine.
0: Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, they didn't really go too extreme this year, and there's only two. So, I mean, that's really nice when there's only two of them. So, but, I mean, first you gotta rile people up, then you gotta calm them down, so that way you can double dip. Okay. Fair enough. It's classic business strategy. Double dip. That's how you you run
1: a that's how you run a podcast right there
0: exactly so you gotta maintain content for later on down the road just like how we're not gonna have a real issue once we hit like mid-april because then we could start focusing on previews and stuff and that clears the way until the actual season starts so right really it's just fighting through another uh couple of weeks of slow news and hopefully getting uh, people to talk to would be a good idea but i I'd I really need to get on that, even though I, I've been—I'll admit I've been slacking on that front. But uh, I suppose we should probably start talking about those rules after all. Uh, so the two rules that we have here—we'll uh, start in the order from which they go in. Uh, neither one of them is too too extreme, but are worthy of conversation nonetheless. Uh, the first of the two rules is the double hook DH is returning. However, there is a slight uh modification to it a slight variation on it uh the starter now can go five plus innings and the dh will remain in the game for that team so if you go four and two-thirds less as a starting pitcher then the team will lose the dh so essentially as long as you hit the five inning mark uh you're gonna have a dh uh, when regardless of whenever you pull out your uh your starting pitcher if you decide to do that if you fail to reach that mark uh then you will lose your dh that said, it feels like while they, they said like the point of that rule was to really kind of prioritize starters and promote starters and things like that, which I mean, baseball across the board, starting pitching's always been important. So it's not like they really needed to do that, but I think it is kind of a nice reward for these teams that do have that higher quality starting pitching and while you're for your team, and we'll just use from 2021, for example, a Gastonia or a Lancaster, this is the kind of rule that could really come back to hurt you because now not only are you kind of likely to lose your DH because, let's be real, they weren't good pitching teams last year, and starting pitching was part of that, but the other team, as long as they can get to five innings with their starter, they keep their DH, and now they're really putting you in a position where you could get really just hammered.
1: Yeah, totally agree. It's a... It is a big reward for those teams that have quality starting pitching. And to be honest with you, the MLB is trying to figure out different rules that are, that encourage teams to leave their starters in the game. I think as far as, as far as last season, um, I think it was almost hard to tell the kind of a f- impact the double hook DH rule had because although I, <coughs> although I was intrigued by the rule, the pitching was almost so bad in the Atlantic League last year last year that you couldn't really tell because there weren't many starters who were going that deep into games for one. And if they did go deep into games, they were kinda of getting batted around or they were kind of just taking one for the team because they had to save the bullpen. So just one of those games where, sorry, we need five innings from you, like I don't care that you give up thirteen runs. We saw plenty of those lines oh, in the Atlantic League last okay. year. Uh so it was kind of hard to tell. I still like the idea. And I like, again, these are the type of rules in the Atlantic League that I don't mind trying, right? It's, yeah. they're interesting. They're interesting little rules that, uh, that we really don't know how they're going to work. For example, uh, that something we're going to see in the MLB probably by next year, which is the, which is the shift ban. Yeah. Start, uh, those are things that, at least in the Atlantic League, granted, it didn't really have a huge impact because they don't have the the analytics in the in the Atlantic League with like all these spray charts or whatever to uh, to really and you don't see those kind of super heavy shifts anyway in the Atlantic League, so it didn't yeah. really make that much of an impact. But uh, I think as far as I think these are the type of rules that you want to try in the Atlantic League, and I I, I almost like this because it really does give that reward for teams that do have good starting pitching. And once you because that fifth inning is when you're starting to hit that third time around in the order where that like that new kind of thinking that, all right, third time through the order, you're either pulling him before he gets pulling your starter before he gets to the third part of the order or uh, or you're going to have a pretty quick hook uh, when you once you hit the third time through the order. Not you don't see that as much in the Atlantic League, just because the depth of pit, the pitching pitching depth isn't really there to do something like that, and you don't mm-hmm. have guys chucking 97, 98 out of the bullpen. Um, but I do I like the idea of it. I don't like I can't guarantee that. Oh, this is going to have some incredible impact. I don't know, but I think it's I think it's a really interesting rule uh, that I'm excited to see in actual gameplay, and I'm excited to see. How these managers uh, how these managers try to tackle this role because it is a pretty significant advantage for teams that uh, because not only are you talking just oh you have a DH for the rest of the game you're talking about having your starting DH have four to five at bats in a game maybe six depending on how the game's going as opposed to them having two and then having to have three bench at bats. Which is a massive difference. It's a massive difference in the context of the game. So uh, I'm excited to see how these managers use the rule, and I I like the idea of it. I just want to see if it in gameplay. Yeah,
0: I'd agree with that. I mean, it's a uh, the other thing I draw from this is it almost seems like this reward this rule kind of rewards the the good teams. I don't want to say the rich teams because that kind of paints the wrong picture, but the teams that are really able to recruit well that are able to get that starting pitching in already they uh, they have an advantage because you're getting you know quality players in but it also is now just kind of a double advantage because we've seen teams across all of indie ball team like a, a Cleburne from last year in the American Association comes to mind that they start off the year with this fantastic roster that's just loaded to the gills with you know former major leaguers former top tier prospects triple a caliber guys guys that played a couple of seasons in Mexico or in Asia or wherever it may be and then by you know mid-June they've just been totally stripped bare and they're just left kind of trying to piece it all together so it's going to be interesting to see if we have a situation like that in the Atlantic League where you have a team like maybe, let's say, uh like a Lexington, for example, that, you know, going into the year, they look like they're going to be a very strong team again this year. If they get to kind of strip bare there, how they're able to go and replenish that pitching staff here. And if they're not able to and now you're starting to have guys that are only kind of getting to that four inning mark, five inning mark, and they're just barely scraping to that point you know, is that going to start to affect them negatively in the standings? And I suppose this is more or less an issue for teams that are like, uh, we'll use like a Lancaster or York, for example, that already are not exactly, you know, pitching rich, as it were, as some of these other teams are. So that's where I'm really interested in this role. But I do agree with you, Will, that, you know, the more interesting roles like this that actually have a tangible effect on the game itself, I'm much more, I don't want to say willing to see and uh much more interesting seeing how they play out because like i said the shift really didn't do much the rule that we're going to discuss next after we finish the the double hook discussion here is another one that really doesn't do too much like there's some rules that are just like it seems like they're here just for the sake of being here not because they actually mm-hmm. are going to do anything so this is one that is actually going to have an effect on games and actually can have an effect going on throughout the year. And that's what makes it interesting to me. And what I'm interested to see is, you know, how is that depth going to get replenished throughout the year? Because that's already a struggle in good conditions, much less, uh, you know, now.
1: Right. Uh, I think I think you're on to something when you say that uh, it, we're going to be looking at teams and rosters at the beginning of the season and say, oh, this could be a team with a really strong rotation that could take advantage of this rule. And then I, I don't even want to say so much at the end of the season because it usually doesn't end up like that. Mm-hmm. It's more that middle part of the season where you're in that awkward area where you're losing guys and you can't just sign a bunch of guys, uh, sign a bunch of that talent, those guys of that caliber back. And in, in just like that quick of a time frame. yeah. Uh, you really saw this with Lexington last year. And then Lexington was able to replenish for that playoff run of of course. We all know what happened. They won a championship, but that middle part of the season and luckily for them, they had already won the first half title. So it didn't really matter, but uh, they had a really rough go of it pitching wise, like right in that middle of the in the middle of the season, once they lost a lot of the guys that they had at the start of the season. So for teams that, Maybe it looks they can use this rule to their advantage early on. It could absolutely change on the uh, like. It could really change come the, come the middle of the season and even the end of the season. So it, it's it's one of those fascinating rules that again you're trying to encourage managers to lead the starters in the game. Now I think I think it would have a lot bigger impact on the game, say in the MLB, just mm-hmm. because. Um, just because one, obviously, those managers are a little bit more new school in majors, uh, and those guys are actually more inclined to like bring out those those great middle relievers with nasty stuff. In the Atlantic League, one the managers are old are pretty old school for the most part anyway. So you're not seeing a lot of the a lot of this type of managing where you're looking to pull a guy third time through, and you not you don't have the quality of middle relief to really do that. Uh so I, I think that it would definitely have a more of an impact in the MLB than it would in the Atlantic League. However, uh, it still will have an impact in the Atlantic League and the teams uh, and the teams that are able to stack together good quality starting pitching and able to sustain it uh, are going to be the teams that are really going to have a huge advantage uh, on the offensive side of the ball um, for this rule because of their pitching.
0: I'd agree with that. it It will be interesting to see how it gets, uh, how it winds up playing out here, and what teams are going to be affected. Because you do make a good point with that kind of middle part of the season, that uh, kind of late June, July, early August period, where there's just not many guys to get. So it'll be interesting to see there. And I do kind of wonder if this will have kind of a an overall effect on the standings at the end of the day or will it just wind up being you know something that we point out and go oh well this team may have been in contention or not so uh, that's interesting but we do have one other rule to discuss here and uh this one it's a it's a throwback rule it's not going to do anything and i'm confident in saying it will affect at most maybe like 35 played appearances over the course of the year not really right. generous I know, I'm really trying to oversell it here, but I mean, 35 plate appearances over, like, what, about 10,000 throughout the course of the season among all teams. So, like, it it isn't going to do anything, but the rule is the pass ball, drop ball rule, which is better known as the steal first uh, rule. That returns. It appears to be unchanged from 2019 when we first saw it in the second half of 2019. A quick refresher on that rule is any uncaught pitch will allow a batter to attempt to advance to first uh if he does so safely it'll be scored a hit this goes if there's a runner already on first obviously that runner would have to advance uh himself anyway so that's part of the reason why this thing just isn't going to get any use most players a aren't fast enough to get down the line that quick b there just isn't a passed ball or drop ball that's going to go far enough away from the catcher to make that a worthwhile gamble, and then see if there's already a runner on first. Now you got to contend with the runner on first and the batter being both quick enough to advance to the next base in time. So it just doesn't really make much sense. Plus, do you want to be the guy that makes that out right there in that situation? Because nobody's going to do this on two outs anyway. So it's just, it doesn't really make much sense to use it. Like I said, I give it 35 plate appearances where we may see this come into effect. And well, I think you're probably right that I'm being generous on it.
1: Yeah. It's one of those rules that makes a lot of headlines. I don't want to say it's only being used for that, for that reason, but it makes you wonder just because it doesn't really have any impact on the game. Why? Because we've seen this in the back half of 2019 and it really it might've impacted like five or six plays that whole time. And it's not even that uh, it, it's not even that it's, it just doesn't come into play. It's just, there's no real reason for players to try it.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. If you get thrown out, your bat is over. Like yeah. you better be a thousand percent sure that you are going to get to first base. And if you get thrown out going to first base on that, you look like a real idiot. Oh, yeah. It's, honestly.
0: Yeah, it's high risk, low reward. Unless you're a guy like uh, who's the one that stole like uh, 47 bases a year or so ago. Uh, Darian Sanford. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, like Darian Sanford can attempt that because he's quick enough to be able to get down to first in time. But, like, right. 97%, 98% of the league just isn't quick enough to justify that. And uh, it just, it definitely does feel like you're right on the headline end of it. Because remember last time around when there was one that went to the backs up. I want to say it was, like, Somerset in New Britain. Yep, yep, I think it was, Absolutely. Darren, it was Darren Ford at the plate, right? If I remember. Yep. Yep, and he just looked at it and stepped back and then didn't do anything. And then, like, the Somerset dugout started applauding him. Yes, yes yeah yeah see it's like that's going to be the usual response here now i'm pretty sure the league got rather annoyed that that happened because they really wanted him to do something other than that and the clapping definitely didn't help either but
1: oh no players having humor yeah. so, at, at the rules that they're forced to play under so sad
0: i know it's terrible how dare they show personality <laughs> but like that, that's just going to happen again and i mean like They made a big deal out of Tony Thomas stealing first. And, I mean, I don't blame the first guy for doing it because there is something to be said about being first. Plus, now, technically, his cleats are in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, that's something. But, regardless of that, it just really isn't a practical decision ever. It really just doesn't make any sense.
1: No, just, like, analytically speaking, it's not a good decision, right? It's, It's not, like... If it's if you are a hundred percent sure you're gonna get there, fine. But at the same time, you better be down in the count. Oh. Ha- you better have really good speed, and the ball better really get away from the catcher. Oh, like for, this, you, to, for you to make it there.
0: Yeah, this thing basically has to go to an on deck circle to really feel confident about it. Right. You're
1: right, it going to the backstop's not enough. It's got to bounce to one side or the other, and probably the third base side.
0: Yeah, third base is being Yeah, it's just it's such a, it's, it's just not it's not a practical rule. And you say, and it doesn't make sense. But even I test wise it doesn't make much sense because, like, why would you right. why would you risk that? And keep in mind too, if this rule's is coming into play, they're giving you a ball off the bat, like it, it's immediately going to be another ball in your favor for the count. So imagine it's already like a 2-1 count, and then this thing comes into play. As a batter, would you rather risk getting thrown out or say, well, it's a 3-1 count. I really like that count.
1: No, it takes a 3-1 count 100 times out of 100. Exactly.
0: Like, that, and like I said earlier, if there's two outs, this thing's just straight up off the table. Like that... As a manager, I'd be furious if my uh, if my batter tried to do this with two outs. Like that just it makes well, so like, no sense.
1: It's like trying to bunt with two outs. Oh, I mean, it's the same thing.
0: Yeah. Remember when we had that rule that you got a freebie foul with? My, oh
1: yeah. Remember
0: that one? Oh
1: my god, I don't even want to think about those days. Honestly, Nick uh, Br- brings back bad memories of <laughs> trying to decipher rules that. No one kind of knew what the like it was just so random, yeah. And like, okay, you have more chances for a sack bunt, okay, that yeah. brings fans to the game,
0: like that's All right. Not, like, what made especially no sense about that was it wasn't like they were just treating a bunt like a usual swing foul now, because that would at least be like kind of logically in line, like, oh, okay, so we're just going to treat it like another swing, so this guy could just keep bunting and bunting and bunting instead it was just like no you get one free but you get a do-over it's like well what's this it's professional sport there's no do-overs if you you should have to actually swing to get that and even then it counts against you that yeah that that, that one was new
1: new nba rule if you miss your first free throw you get a redo (laughs) Kentucky probably could have used that
0: (laughs) you know as a Rutgers fan maybe you don't want to be talking about this yeah, well, we didn't lose because of free throws. We lost because we didn't play good defense. So, well, then also your one player doesn't know how to inbound ball.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. That, that, I mean, that, when you had a timeout.
0: Yeah, that I was watching that game. That was that was what puzzled me the most about that. I was like, you, you could afford to just burn the timeout.
1: <laughs> I will, I will say, Nick. Yeah. You, you made a very good point when you texted me yesterday about this. Yeah, I, it sucks. Like the Rutgers loss sucked. It did. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But God, at least we're not Kentucky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, I've been on that end before as a two losing to a fifteen. It really does suck worse because that these- would
1: be the biggest. Now my teams are never two seeds, so I can't relate. But <laughs> uh, if my team was a two seed and they got and lost to a team like Saint Peter's, oh geez, I don't even know what I would do.
0: Yeah, it, cause it just ruins the whole, year. anything possible that happens immediately wiped away by that. Right. It, that's just how it is. Plus, in the case of Kentucky, it wasn't like St. Peter's really outplayed them. They could have no. won. They just, they, they blew it. And that's the worst part about it. Oh.
1: it. It seemed like the game seemed like it was, all right, Kentucky's not playing well, but they're consistently up like three to four points in the last five minutes. Like, all right, you know what? Like, they're gonna coast a little bit, win ugly, maybe like free throws extended out to like an eight point win. Yeah. And, I mean, miss free throws and like, blunders and it just not good. And that, yeah. and to be honest with you, as, and trust me, as a Jersey guy, it's cool to see this happen to St. Peter's. If we're being honest here, yeah. St. Peter's is probably the third or fourth best team in that conference.
0: Oh yeah, no, they're not. They're, it was a miracle they made it to the MAC final, much less the, the actual tournament. That's. I know. And now one of Murray State and St. Peter's is going to the Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> God, God, this is just a weird year. But
1: ah, uh, uh, yeah. Well, oh yeah, twenty-three of thirty-five from the line for Kentucky, sixty-five percent in an overtime game. That'll do it.
0: Yeah. I suppose we should talk about the other ball sport that we are supposed to talk about right now. But True. given that it's a light week, I'm leaving that detour in. Plus, we go on tangents occasionally. That's in the description. so
1: It's literally in the description. So
0: everyone knows what they're signing up for at this point. Plus, it's kind of related because we do have a bracket challenge. So that's a thing, too. True. Which, last count, I'm still ahead in. Which is very important to me that I win this. But... a lot of way to go it still is a long way to go but we shift now to the pioneer league in that very hard turn uh we have a new manager for grand junction the rockies they've just kept the rocky branding it's kind of surprising they didn't make the decision to rebrand but you know hey if it works for them it works for them they have promoted i suppose would be the correct term a uh, former major league pitcher and sock legend because he was both a white sock and a red sock, Bobby Jenks to manager for the twenty twenty two season. He was the pitching coach in twenty twenty one. This is his first managerial job outside of his kids' T ball team. And uh, <laughs> He literally says that in the press release too. And he will be replacing, uh, Jimmy Johnson, who retired at the end of 2021. Not the football coach, the baseball coach, who's about 75 or so years old. So he certainly re- earned his retirement and taking over as pitching coach will be Jesse Hobica. I hope that's correct. I think it's right from how I wrote it down in my notes. Uh, so that's the new, uh, staff over in Grand Junction for the Grand Junction Rockies.
1: Two points on this. One, yes. Bobby Jenks, pretty good reliever. Another big name in the minor, in, in the Pioneer League's manager. So I mean, um, they're continuing to bring in big names as managers. And the difference here is that Bobby Jenks was actually their pitching coach last year, which hmm. is it's unique. And it also it's a good idea because it gives them, uh, it, because it gives Bobby Jenks experience. He sees how indie ball teams are run. He sees how. You could you could work on building a roster. I, I really like that aspect of it, because seem, seemingly grooming him for this managerial role. Uh, so I think that that is a, a big difference in some of these names that um, you know haven't been managers. But I think Bobby Jones probably working under Jimmy Johnson for a year, uh, kind of seeing how he runs things, I think it's gonna be really beneficial for him uh, as he makes the jump up from managerial from in, in from being a manager in T ball to professional baseball uh however i gotta say these uh some of these quotes in the uh in the press release which i assume will be linked in the show notes but Uh, as always as always some of these quotes are absolutely gold yes i wish more press releases were like this press releases could be so boring and putting like fun quotes like this or, like, that make them make these uh, these the show and person the managers they do, and it makes them relatable. Like, so yeah. many people out there have coached son, their sons' t ball teams. Uh, and like, the, the quote, like, there's a quote at the end just because I'm the uh, basically, and I'm, I'm gonna read this quote for a quote, actually. Okay. There will be minor changes here and there with the new manager, but as Jiggs said, he's not trying to change the game, and thus many things will stay the same, including his dominance on the clubhouse ping-pong table. Quote, just because I'm the manager doesn't mean I'm not the men- their mentor in all aspects of life, including ping-pong, <laughs> Jig said.
0: <laughs> the ping-pong's very important, though. I mean, that, that's critical.
1: I mean, is it more important than winning baseball games? I think
0: it might be. It very well could be in the Pioneer League. We don't know. I mean, they'll still be better than Rocky Mountain this year. Yeah. Um, Which, that's going to be a preview I don't look forward to doing, that Pioneer League one, because I have no <laughs> idea on that.
1: We <laughs> gives the people what they want.
0: I know. Plus, it makes it easier actually covering these teams now, because I think I have a strategy planned out, but as far as as far as uh, Jenx is concerned the lack of experience is on some level of concern because you know there's going to be a lot of uh, learning curves and rookie mistakes in there but that's going to come wherever he was also a special coordinator or a pitching development coach for the white sox for a little bit plus you know he has last year with the pitching as a pitching coach there he's been through enough managers in his career where i I'm fairly confident he'll do a good job or at least a good enough job. It'll be hard to really judge the quality of manager he is off of one year, way too small of a sample size, but you'll get kind of a headwind. I think obviously personality wise, he fits very, very well in that room. Uh, he's clearly got somewhat at least popular in there. So I'll be curious to see uh, how he does in that regard. But all in all, I, I think it's pretty, it's a pretty nice little hire.
1: Yeah i think so and it, again it speaks to that pioneer league uh, the trend that we've been talking about for several weeks now the managers are looking to bring in they're looking to bring in these big names and i mean of course jim regelman is as more we more think about as a manager in the mlb yeah. but uh but like a lot of these big names into the pioneer league to try and give it new like notoriety as a uh as a new independent league, and uh, whether it works, I mean, they they had they did very well as an independent league last year. They did,
0: yeah. So surprisingly, so um, to be honest. Yeah,
1: no, they definitely did, and uh, and you would think that the a lot of these names helps. I, I mean, it certainly couldn't hurt. I don't know how big of an impact it'll have, but um, I mean, it could certainly help on the recruiting aspect of things and trying to get more talent into the league. Uh, but I, I think it's. I, I think it's an, I think it's a good hire. I think him being around the team la- the the previous year is is a big plus and a big uh, big step for them. And um, of course, there is going to be a learning curve with any manager. But I think in the Pioneer League this year, a lot of like pretty much half the league is going to be having some sort of yeah. le- learning curve with all the new managers in there. Uh, so not something that worries me a ton. But look, it seems like it seems like a good hire for sure.
0: I definitely agree with that. It does seem like a solid solid hire. Uh, I, I do want to continue on the trend you mentioned though with uh, with these kind of bigger name managers I think it really does kind of help fill the void of some of the affiliated marketing they were able to do because I think it's fair to say that when these teams were affiliated it was we're promoting the team we're affiliated with the fact we're affiliated and then some of the prospects too obviously you know two of those things go away being the affiliation and the team and really the prospects too you can say, oh, look, we're still a partnered league, but, I mean, if we're being honest to the average, you know, Ogden, Utah, or uh, Windsor, Colorado, or Missoula, Montana, native, that's going to these games, I'm fairly confident that, as with most people, if you try to explain the differences between being partnered but not affiliated with independent league or with affiliated minor leagues, it you're going to start to lose them very quickly. So you need some other way to really promote them. And when you have a major league face or major league uh, associated manager, it is another aspect to promote it. And obviously they had a solid uh, 2021 campaign all around. So this really does kind of help to build off of going into 22. You have more marketability there. You have people that kind of know what the product is going into it. They know that the fan experience at the ballpark is going to still be a high quality one and the play on the field is going to be very good because these guys are trying to win and now you have just another face to kind of draw in people that may be a little unsure going in uh, to this whole uh, new independent phase in the Pioneer League so it is something that is extremely interesting to see how that plays out because the marketing has been fairly strong even social media wise they've been fairly active all things considered mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, it, it's a nice change, and I really do think the Pioneer has done a has done a good job in, in this aspect. And uh, and it, it's the, the it seems like they're pretty forward thinking in the in this in this uh, in this way. And I think that's definitely a plus, especially for an independent league that's trying to uh to trying to put themselves onto the scene. Um, and so I, I think it's a it's interesting because I think it's going to be a league that it's probably going to continue to grow, especially as we see more of the long-term impacts of the, of the draft being 20 rounds. Now that that's not, we, we knew that that wasn't going anywhere, yeah. but uh, it's, we knew, we knew, we already knew that that was going to stay, but now it officially is going to stay. Uh, we'll see what kind of impact that has, but I think the Pioneer League really stands to benefit from something like that. And, and, for, and for the future.
0: I'd agree with that. And I also think something that's going to be interesting to watch is if the rumored supposedly more cutting of minor league teams goes on, I'll be interested to see where those teams go. And if there's any that the Pioneer League may be interested in expanding to kind of, you yeah. know, add in there, because obviously you could expand more. It's already a league that's got teams very far apart here. And as uh, we mentioned in our interview with the president of Pioneer League, uh, there is a plan to kind of try and make the travel not quite as bad so expansion may be tough but it also has its possibilities of being uh fairly beneficial to them as well so that's going to be an area of, of interest as well plus if there's fewer actual jobs for affiliated leagues and affiliated players that trickle down is going to affect the pioneer league in the sense of you're going to probably get even better players than uh, you're getting right now, and that's going to be certainly a plus for them as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it'll be because you know I I don't, you'll, you see a lot of these. Remember back when those teams were, were cut, the li- the licenses are a lot shorter now. Yeah. So they ha- the MLB has the flexibility to move teams up to to move teams or cut teams or, or do whatever. And based on of based on all the things that you heard during the CBA, like. Oh, we want to. We want to cut more minor league players. We want to cut more minor league teams. It didn't happen this time around, but it could it happen next time around? Sure, it sure could. So, uh, what? How would a team like the Pioneer League stand to benefit from the, from that? I guess it's hard to say without knowing where those teams are. But I'm sure they would be looking to expand. Uh, I'm sure they'd be looking to expand some if the opportunity were to pre- present itself. Just a matter of where those teams are, just because obviously they're on the west coast uh maybe not on the west coast but um more toward the the western part of the u.s um so i I think that it's it's hard to say now but i think they certainly would stand to benefit and look to expand if more if the mlb ends up cutting uh more teams in that in that region of the country
0: certainly and also keep in mind that part of the deal with those uh a prospect Development licenses I believe is what they were called, Uh is that these stadiums for the teams that have the license have to stay up to a certain standard. And if they don't meet that standard, whether brought up to it or stay at it, then they run the risk of losing it. So that's also something else to keep in mind among these teams too. But uh, all in all, the Pioneer League is certainly shaping up to be a lot more interesting than I think we would have expected it to be a year ago this time.
1: 100%. Yeah. yeah.
0: So with that, we've kind of reached the end of the show. We're only about 35 or so minutes into the show. Uh, so like I said, it's a light week. We don't really have uh, too much else for you this week. So I suppose we'll just kind of wrap it up uh, here. Obviously, like I said, a little bit of a lighter week, but that's not always the worst thing in the world here. And if you want to find the interview I just mentioned, that's going to be on the website as well as the show notes that have the links to both of the uh, stories we mentioned this week in there. Uh, and that's all on IndieBallReport.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at IndieBallPod. And you can follow the show on Instagram at AOPB underscore news or IndieBallReport. Uh, likewise, the show is available what, wherever you can find podcasts. So that's uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, A- Apple Podcast. Like I said, just about wherever you can find the show, the show is available so uh with that said do we have anything else left to add this week
1: uh not a ton just obviously disappointed in the Rutgers loss but thankful for all that core gave and making Rutgers basketball serious again hopefully it's gonna be a different team next year probably not as much winning i'm ready for that uh such as life when you're not a blue blood like the Duke, blue, like the Duke Blue Devils, you actually have ups and downs uh, instead of just replenishing with like four or five stars each year. Uh, and also, while um, I would say, because when people listen to this, they'll know if this happened or not. But congratulate me if it happened. I have Colgate into this. I have Colgate going to the Sweet 16. I have them beating Wisconsin tonight. We'll see if I'm right. Uh, and, uh, we'll, so we'll see if it happens, but just know I called it first if it happened.
0: Couple of points of order. One, I thought about the Colgate pick too, but what steered me away was the fact that that game's in Milwaukee. That,
1: I know, no, it's something I realized. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was just like, if this wasn't in Wisconsin, I'd pick against the Badgers, but I have a hard time picking on them against them when it's essentially a home game for them. Second point of order. It's very tough being a Duke fan. There are ups and downs. We've gone since 2015 without a national championship. It is a struggle, sir. So please respect their struggle during these times. And we've missed the tournament like, I think twice, maybe three times since like 1990. So there is ups and downs. Okay. It's a struggle. Every year's a struggle. And third and fourth mo, or third and foremost, I remember promoting a poll that had one of these hosts in it, and the host that was there said, "If I win this poll, then yes, I'll join the Brotherhood." And let me just tell I, you, sir, I'm
1: just, I'm just simply, I'm just simply stating a fact. I am technically part of the Brotherhood at this point. God, that sounds terrible, but
0: <laughs> and now it's on the record forever and eternity. There um, it is. See, so at least as of the time we're recording this, as long as you're not bringing the the Rutgers' bad luck of losing you, you are allowed to root for the Brotherhood tonight against, like, California State at Fullerton, which is a game that's kind of scaring me because I'm seeing how all these other top seeds are faring, and I'm like, oh, God, I've seen this picture before, and uh I don't <laughs> particularly care for it. That being uh, said, just, yeah?
1: I feel... I feel like Duke's a team that could let a team like that hang around just because they don't really play defense.
0: Who needs... See, look, we're taking the Houston Rockets approach from, like, back when the Rockets were, like, top of the line where it's, you know, half the defense, double the offense. Only sometimes we forget forget to do the second part of that, which is double the offense. But, yes, Duke is a team that uh, I'm afraid of. You know, like allowing these inferior opponents to hang around. And uh, right. That being said, though, can we all acknowledge that the reason why Duke is a two-seed in the region they're in is because Michigan State's a seven-seed in the region they're in, and, they, and the committee wanted so badly for Izzo to beat Davidson so that way it could be Duke-Michigan State in the second round, even though Duke routinely beats Michigan State?
1: You know, I... I would say yes. However, I picked Davidson to win the game because I think Davidson's really good.
0: Well, I picked Davidson and too. I,
1: I may or may not have picked Davidson to go to the Sweet Sixteen and beat Duke.
0: They're not going to lose to Davidson. They're going to lose to Texas Tech. Okay, that's what's going to happen here because Texas Tech is the exact kind of team that Duke struggles against. That being the said, that plays defense. No, the kind that's big and plays defense. We can deal with plays defense, but it's small because the Duke team towers over the small opponents. But that said, if they do manage to get past Texas Tech, I got to be honest, I like Duke a lot at that point because who really stands in their way at this point? Gonzaga, a team they already beat once.
1: Yeah, um... I think Gonzaga, I think they match up better with Gonzaga than they do with like Texas Tech.
0: Oh, I've, see, that's I the, I agree with that. Yeah. Plus, we already seen Duke play Gonzaga once this year. We saw this happen. And I'm, I mean, it's also one of the best games of the year. So I'm like, I kind of yeah. really want to see this rematch. Not going to lie. But I feel like with each round, if Duke, th- that's the thing with this Duke team is with each round they go on, I feel like they become a tougher team to beat. If, you, if they just get out of the Sweet 16, all of a sudden, I really like their odds. I don't want to say winning, but uh, of at least making the final. That, that's kind of where I'm at, because I'm looking at the rest of this field, and I'm thinking, there's not too many teams here that are looking really good.
1: Right. But, and UConn's already
0: out. Yeah, I, which I had UConn, too, and I'm not happy about UConn dropping.
1: I got New Mexico State.
0: Yeah, I picked the wrong upset. I took Vermont over Arkansas, which I just want to point I out. I did too. Vermont got jobbed. They got jobbed badly. But
1: yeah, I I had Vermont to the Sweet Sixteen. I I I am willing to take risks on my bracket, but yeah, but. It just didn't happen. I South Dakota State yesterday
0: too. I know. I, I took Providence. I took Providence, although I was very scared with that pick for a while. But uh, putting Brett. Putting at least college bracket aside, college basketball bracket aside, on Sunday we get the NCAA hockey bracket, which is the one I'm extremely interested in because I'll find out who's going to be in Allentown, who I'm going to watch uh, watch play on Friday. So that's going to be something that's going to be very fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to that because Allentown is ridiculously cheap to go to almost every year. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Plus, there's one the I will defend this to the end, and normally this is NHL, but even college level, the best sport to watch is playoff hockey. There's just a certain level that gets amped up with it, where it's like, okay, now we're playing a game here, like, it's enthralling to watch, and it goes for college, it goes for minor league hockey, and it goes for, like, double or triple on the NHL level, where When playoffs start, it's just like a whole different game from the way it's played. I'm looking very, very forward to that. So, I'll be interested to see how the bracket gets shook shook out. But I'm fully ready and expecting the uh, Allentown bracket to be like Minnesota State, Notre Dame, Minnesota Duluth, and Ohio State. I'm ready for that
1: of hockey there's nothing like it it is it's
0: fantastic that now so we have the trade deadline on monday
1: that is also true how about uh, nick how about that uh oh what how about the Sorokin save yesterday
0: i don't even hate that save like honestly i respect that i respect that and like as far as the islanders go like it it sucks losing to them but I wouldn't have been annoyed if we would have lost in overtime or if we would have just lost on our own merit. What annoys me is that they just blatantly ignored an elbow to the face and that's what caused us to lose. The officiating is what annoyed me. And I hate complaining about officiating because it's a lazy excuse for teams that should have lost. And I'm not making excuse the Rangers didn't play well 5-on-5 five five again because they're not a good 5-on-5 five five team for whatever reason. But at the same point, it was a blatant elbow bloods running down Lindgren's face it has to be called and it wasn't called and because it wasn't called Lindgren was left without his stick essentially putting the Rangers down a man which results in the Islander goal so that's what annoyed me about that outcome not so much that they lost because I thought they still played good it's just it annoys me that they didn't call a penalty that should have been called
1: and so I, I saw the play, it definitely was a belly. Yeah. So I can I can empathize
0: with it. Yeah. What I almost feel like, and this may be a bit conspiracy theory, but I feel like the refs knew if we call it it has to be four because he's bleeding, and that's not an elbow that deserves four in their mind, is what they said. So they were going, We won't call it, we'll hope that it doesn't affect the outcome. And if it does, we'll try to get him back and give him a freebie. And then it did affect the outcome, and oh, it was like not too long after that they had the opportunity to give it back, and they wound up not doing it. I think it was a puck over the glass that may have scraped the top of the glass, but it was kind of like, at the moment, it looked like it was shot out. And I thought right then it was going to be, oh, well, there's going to be our uh, get back the even call. They're going to give us that, and then they didn't. So... It just seemed like a real uh, garbage job by officiating. Which, it seems to me, like, as of the last few weeks, officiating's gone downhill very quickly. Yep. Yeah. So. You can see that. So I think we prattled on aimlessly about things other than baseball for long enough, so I suppose we should probably wrap up the this show now. I suppose so. All right? So, with that said, and nothing else left to add, don't forget to play ball.